Hello everyone, Sydney St. James here, welcoming you to the making of the Rose of Bray's Bayou. This is probably one of the most interesting books in my early days of writing because it has such a great history in how it came about. There's a small town southwest of Houston, Texas, about 65 miles, called Eagle Lake, Texas. Back in 2003, I moved back to Eagle Lake after my father had passed away and took over the family business. While there, I kept looking across the street at how tall the grass was getting and where there was grass, actually, because there was a lot of places there was no grass. And the house just seemed to be sitting there, quiet, nobody living there. And it just was a shame for me to see such an old house withering away. Well, I went over there and, and, and come to find out it was actually a very good friend of the family that had uh, moved to a different place in Eagle Lake and had every intent to go either fix it back up or sell the house. But he didn't do anything with it for quite a while and it was sitting there. And one day he walked in the store. Now, this, this is after I had already totally restored an old home built in 1917, which was my grandmother's, and this was the place I was living. And he walked in my family business and he said, Sydney, I'd like to make you a deal. And I said, what kind of deal is that? By the way, his name was Bill Kale, a great school teacher in the Rice Consolidated School District for many years. And Bill said, I'd like to make you a deal. I'll sell you that house at a very reduced rate if you promise to totally restore it like you did your grandmother's house. And I looked at him and looked, looked down the street where that house was located at the corner of McCarty Avenue and, and uh, what was that, Stockbridge Street. And I, I agreed with him. I said, okay. I'll take your deal, and I bought the house from Bill. Well, my wife and I began restoring the old house, and I mean to say it had the old wallpaper still in the house, and as I always did, I talked about this in my first episode, and in that episode, I talk about family history and all the work that I do in research. Well, I wasn't going to restore an old, old home if I didn't know anything about it. So I started doing my research, found out who built it, found out when they built it. I even crawled underneath the house and dug out square-headed nails to try to prove just what exact age that house was. Well, I was able to do that. I was able to find out who built, who built the house, when the house was built. And the house is much older than anyone can believe. Well, a year goes by and it's time for the house to be invited from the City of Eagle Lake Homes Tour Committee to be on the Homes Tour. What an honor that was. And what a year of hard work it was, to say the least. Well, I was awarded something very special. But, but before I tell you what it was that I was awarded, let, let me tell you what happened during our whole restoration progress. There was a time in the house where a fellow by the name of Jim, Jim Calhoun, that's it, Jim Calhoun from Wharton, Texas, 
uh, came over. And although I totally restored my home for my grandmother, uh, the wooden floors in that home, uh, this was a monster of a house, a very a two-story colonial, oh, and it had red long-leaf pine wood floors in it. But Lordy, did they need some work. So I hired Jim Calhoun, and he came over, and the guy is talented. I mean to say, uh, he made those long red long-leaf pine wooden floors just shine. It was amazing how beautiful it was with all the grain coming through it all. But I tell you this story because I had another employee that was working for me and he was painting one of the other rooms in the house. And when he was painting, he got real cold. Now we're talking about working on this room in the middle of the summer. And what I'm talking about right now is a true story. This is I'm not pulling your leg. He was working, and he had to leave the house, and he came back down to the store where my business was, and he said it got real cold in there. As a matter of fact, he got scared. Well, that was the beginning. It got scared to him, but watching across the street one night, it was about 9 o'clock, I looked over there, and sure enough, out in the driveway was Jim Calhoun sitting now, Jim and I are about the same age, and nothing can play a trick on him. And as he was working, the same thing happened. As he was sanding those floors, uh, something came up behind him and tapped him on the shoulder. He jumped, didn't think much of it. Then he kept to working, and all of a sudden he said the room, the whole temperature in the room where he was working got very cold. And something tapped him again, and he jumped. It scared him so much. He left his machine running and ran outside and sat down in a lawn chair in the middle of the driveway. He told me about the story, and, and I said, what, you don't believe in ghosts, do you? And he said, Sidney, you had to have been there. Well, that's not just where all this, quote, ghost stories get their beginning. And again, I'm, I have to... Just tell you that this is a true story, what I'm telling you. Then the, the fellow that works for me went back up there and was painting. He was painting that same room again. And as he was painting, he took the lid off, set the lid down. And as the lid was sitting on the floor, some of that same coldness came about the room. He stopped what he was doing, turned his head, and just for some reason felt like something was sitting right beside him. He glanced off to the right. Now, where he had laid that paint can lid on the floor right beside him, all of a sudden, in script, the word Annie began to write itself. The paint just disappeared slowly but surely to where the word Annie was on there. Well, that's all my employee needed to see. And he was up throwing his brush down and getting out of that room. That was enough. He did not want to go back in that room and work. He did not want to go back in that room and paint because he swore there was a ghost in the house. Well, there were some other situations that gave us the idea that there was a ghost, but uh, there's only, there's actually one more. 
And I'll tell you about this one. This is just about ready when we're getting ready to move into the house. It's all restored and we're hanging curtain rods. At the top of the stairs, as you go up to the top and turn to the right to head down to the master bedroom, required some pretty big screws to hang in the curtain over the window. So we drilled in, hung the curtains, and everything was fine. And then we moved in, got all our beds and chest of drawers and all of our furniture and everything was moved in. And the very first night, we were laying in bed and crash. This big crash happened in the hallway. I jumped up. I ran down to the end of the hallway. And sure enough, those curtains were laying on the floor. My wife ran up behind me and looked down there and said, you really need to put those curtains in better. Yeah, I'll put them in better. So we got the next morning, we, let, we moved them out of the way and went back to bed. But the next morning, I climbed up on a ladder, got longer screws and more screws and drilled holes into the wall. This is a true story here. I'm not kidding you. Drilled holes into the wall and got like three inch screws. There's nothing that those screws and drilled those screws into the wall, attached that curtain and it wasn't going anywhere. Okay. Well, you can imagine what comes next that night. I jumped in bed and I'm laying there. Barbara. Barbara, do you hear that? And she said, yes. What is it? The noise came again. And I looked up towards the ceiling because it was something walking around on the roof. Didn't know what it was. Then, crash. And you better believe it, Scout's Honor. We ran down the end of the hallway, and there that curtain was, again. And then my wife asked me, she says, you know, there's, there's definitely a ghost in this house. We've got to find out, what is it? What is happening? Why, why do we have these sounds? Why do we have this coldness around us? Who? And then she said, who is this person, Annie? Well, the next day, I took my genealogy um, abilities and skills that I have after years of doing so many family histories, and I started researching more and more. Come to find out, uh, William Smithson, who built the house, had a daughter, and her name was Annie Smithson. Well, over in the Colorado County Courthouse, she filed a lawsuit against Daniel Stockbridge, the man that was in the house with his wife, and the law, I mean, the, the, the lawsuit that was filed was that he stole that house from her, and she wanted her house back because she was the daughter of William Smithson, the man who built the house. Well, I didn't go digging into the court case and try to find transcripts or anything, but I did do one thing. 
I found out who Annie was. Well, now I found out who Annie was. Didn't sound like Annie was the type of person that was big enough that could make the sounds of on top of the roof. Okay. Well, one more research. Uh, a project that I did for the uh, Eagle Lake Study Club uh, was a project where I took all their microfilm before 1900 and got with a contractor. And together we came up with a database and digitized all the Eagle Lake headlight newspapers. And wow, has that not come in handy for people all around the county, the state? Heck, I, I suppose people from around the world use it. But you can find anything now because it's digitized. So I started looking and searching and looking. And you know, I found out what that thumping sound was. Another time the house was restored was in 1932 after a terrible hurricane had totally destroyed the roof. And they were trying to repair the roof. And at the same time, a lady by the name of Mrs. Dallas, who she and her husband owned the Dallas Hotel, they did a total restoration of the house and a total addition. They wanted to make their garage where they could get their Model A's in. Well, while they were making the house and doing the restoration, a fella fell off the roof and lost his life at the house. So now, we have the sounds that are coming from the top. Who are they attributed to? Obviously, the man who fell from the roof. Annie, who is that attributed to? Annie, the, the daughter of William Smithson. So you can believe in ghosts or not believe in ghosts, but the story is true. Uh, there is another novel way down the line here that I wrote called This Old House, and it talks about those ghosts in the house and why those ghosts are in the house. And that will probably be in episode 50 or 55 when I get around to it. But right now, let's get back to episode two of The Rose of Bray's Bayou. Now the whole house is all restored. Barbara and I actually get dressed and get up gear from the 1840s. I look like Rhett Butler. At least when I looked in the mirror, I thought so. Of course, sometimes I look in the mirror right now and I think I'm Sean Connery, but um, my wife laughs at me. She says, I wish I had a magic mirror like you have. But back to the homes tour. It's homes tour weekend. People are coming from all over the county. They're driving out from Houston. They all want to see the old restored house, the old William Smithson house. And they were coming in and out of the house and William Carroll, who I bought the house from, brought to me and awarded me, and the paper took pictures and everything, a small manuscript. It was a typed manuscript, but it was scribbled all over and edited. And it was a manuscript written by a lady known as DeLue Rose Harris. And I got the manuscript and started reading it and then doing more research on it. Come to find out, she wrote that manuscript in 1899 and 1900 in the same room 
that we made our master bedroom on the second floor of the house. She remained in the house to her last day for the next 12 to 14 years. But she wrote this manuscript and it was picked up. Well, she wrote it for the Eagle Lake Headlight first. Then it was picked up by the Southwestern Historical Quarterly and it was taken. It was a memoirs that she made and wrote about the Santa Ana chasing everyone out of Texas. And in this memoir, it got to be not only in the quarterly, but textbooks for the state of Texas in their Texas history textbooks take a lot of what she's wrote in these memoirs and put them into the textbooks. A lot of us studying Texas history have read that and come to find out people call it different things. Uh, I call it the, uh, well, a lot of people call it the runaway scrape. That's one. Or the great Sabine shoot when they're trying to get across the Sabine River. But all in all, these memoirs were quite exciting. I took those memoirs at that, t- at that time. And because I'm into creative historical nonfiction, I wanted to take her memoirs and add more feeling to what's going on, to add more taglines, so you could feel what was happening, not just read about what was happening. So I wrote, actually the first time was called The Yellow Rose. And that was called The Yellow Rose because uh, Delu Rose was her name and she married Harris, so she became Delu Rose Harris. Uh, after a while, I did uh, the second edition, which I added a lot of other parts that I'd found through other Texas history research. And now the book that is actually available, uh, the one that is in the middle of uh, audio production right now for the novel, is called The Rose of Bray's Bayou. I would like to close out episode two and the making of The Rose of Bray's Bayou. God bless Texas women with a small snippet from somewhere within the 382 pages of the novel. Mrs. Almiron Dickinson reached Gonzales, Texas with the tragic news. Mothers, wives, sweethearts, and dozens of children of the gallant and brave 32 men who left Gonzales a few weeks earlier and rode to the aid of the Alamo instantly surrounded the exhausted young woman. Their cries, their screaming, and many collapsing to the ground were frightening, all began asking with their trembling voices, Sue, Sue, they cried, are you sure they're dead? Did they say anything? Did my husband have any last message for me? Susanna Dickinson had only this to say, all dead, all dead. She turned and saw standing shoulder to shoulder with the other women, Rebecca Davis, her very best friend. Rebecca, I can tell you about your son's last hour. I watched Johnny during the very height of the battle. He reached out to me in the Alamo church room where I was. A Mexican soldier broke both of his jaws and 
He tried to tell me something, but I couldn't understand what he was saying. He reached up with his hands and pressed his jaws together, but still, I couldn't understand. He rushed back out into the hailstorms of bullets, Rebecca, a hero, an honest-to-God hero. Tara was the starting line and the beginning of the families fleeing from the state of Texas. The women knew they must come together to help each other. That was all there was to it. Their escape ahead of General Santa Ana and the Mexican army began. The runaway scrape.